Revelation uh, chapter 10. I just want to read the whole chapter with you. It says in verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore to him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so the first thing we see here in Revelation chapter 10 is that this is Jesus' land. Uh, here, as you guys study through the book of Revelation, we're going through this period where we see it's an interlude. And so uh, it's the interlude in the judgment of that day, not an intermission where we go get popcorn or take a break. It's more of an intermission where we get to see a glimpse behind the scenes of sentence. And we get to see Jesus here coming really to the land and claiming it as the king. You know, keep in mind, you guys, what's going on right here. John, the beloved, has been catapulted into the future. He is actually there, allowed to see it and then share it with us. And here we see in verse 1 uh, what's described as a, as a mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now, there are some who, who believe differently, but I'm pretty sure uh, Pastor Chuck, Pastor Rawl, these are my pastors, they, uh, they would identify this mighty angel as Jesus Christ. You know, we see for many reasons. Number one, his description. Did you notice there? Look again at verse uh, 1. It says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Notice he's clothed with a cloud. Now, clouds in the Bible, they speak of the glory of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I like the beauty of the cloud. You know, you look up in the blue sky and they're poofy there. And without a shadow of a doubt, I know when I look up and see those clouds, to me, it's a display of God's glory. You know, we see it throughout the scriptures. When the Lord appeared to Israel, he displayed his glory. And in the book of Exodus 16, verse 10, he appeared in a cloud. 
When the Lord led the children of Israel to the promised land personally and powerfully, he manifested his glory in the form of a cloud. We read that in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 12, where it says, By day you led them with a pillar of cloud. It's interesting. When Lucifer fell, the Bible talks about this in Isaiah 14, 14. He said this. This is what Lucifer said. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so when you read the Bible, the clouds communicate the glory of God. The clouds are connected with the Most High God. And the clouds, you guys know, are included in the second coming of Christ. Remember when the high priest questioned Jesus, uh, tell us once and for all, are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus said in the gospel of um, Mark chapter 14, in verse 62 and 63, he said, it is as you say. And one day you're going to see the Son of Man coming with the clouds in glory. And I was at that point that the high priest tore his robes and he said, blasphemy. What further do we need, need do we have of witnesses? Why did the high priest say that? Because when Jesus said he was coming in the clouds, Jesus was saying that he was God. And so when we look at this mighty angel, uh, what we're finding is that this mighty angel is none other than Jesus. So we see it with the, clou the clothes that he was wearing, which is the clouds. Remember back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. We read it again in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. And we even read it right back in the book of Daniel chapter 7 in verse 13. And so the evidence is that this is Jesus. It continues with the second thing we see in there in verse 1, and that is his crown. Look again, if you would. He says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. Now, the last time we saw the rainbow was in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3. And the Bible says he who sat on the throne was like a jasper, sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. And this is the throne of God. And so here is this mighty angel. He's clothed with a cloud and he has a rainbow on his head. Not only does this manifest his glory, but you guys know this. Huh? When you think of the rainbow, what do you think of when it comes to the Bible? It takes us back to Jesus, uh, the Bible's promise in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13 through 17, where God said, I'm going to show you this rainbow. I'm going to establish it. When you guys see it, it's a promise that the waters will never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. He said in Genesis 9, 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember. And so whenever, it's kind of interesting, like it's like God is saying, whenever I see the rainbow, it's going to be like, it's going to be strike a memory to me. Like, okay, you know, with me and you, there's this covenant that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. But, and if you're honest, it also communicates the fact that he has judged the entire earth in the past. Every time you see a rainbow, when you know the Bible, you see those things. You know, someone might ask, well, would God ever do that? Uh, someone might say, well, God would never do that. God would never judge the whole world. Oh, oh yes, he will. And there is a show in every rainbow. 
And so we see Jesus here. We see this mighty angel here clothed with the clouds, with a crown uh, uh, as a rainbow. And then thirdly, it says right here, he has uh, his face was shining like the sun. And so uh, I don't know if you can visualize that, but if you can, try to imagine it. We saw Jesus described that way back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, where the Bible says his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. You know, we see Jesus described this way even in the Gospels. Remember when he was transfigured in Matthew chapter 17? Uh, it's just right there, man. And there was a transformation. And when the apostles saw him, they saw him, it says there, his face shone like the sun. As a matter of fact, when God appeared to Paul the apostle, at that time he was Saul, Jesus appeared, the Bible says, in midday, brighter than the sun. And so all that to say this, because I know you guys are going to read this and you might wonder, well, who is this? And there are some who say, well, it's just like an average angel. But when you begin to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, what you find is that this is not just an average angel. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the mightiest messenger of all. This is the sovereign son. And you might remember in the Old Testament, uh, Jesus was described as the angel of the Lord. And what we find in the Bible when it talks about angels, it's not Jesus uh, as an angel by nature. No, Jesus is not a created being. He's God. But what it is, is, is Jesus as an angel in mission. Uh, his uh, angels come to serve. Angels are messengers. And that's what we see here in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. When you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you find that the pastors to all the churches are called angels. And so again, it's not nature. It's a task. It's a service. It's a message. And what we find right here is that this mighty angel is the mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the glory of God. It's even seen in his feet. Uh, notice again, uh, verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, we saw that back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, that his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a fire. And so the word right here, it, it speaks of setting on fire. And what we just saw when we study Revelation chapter 1 is that speaks of the judgment of God. Uh, remember in the Old Testament, the, the burnished bronze was symbolic of judgment. And so looking at this, we see, first of all, his description. But then secondly, we see his demand. Look at verse 2. It said, he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And so can you visualize that? I think John wants you to. I think God wants you to. Can you visualize Jesus coming down uh, in the clouds with that rainbow, with a face shining like the sun, with his feet like on fire, burnished bronze? And you, can, you, can you visualize him? One foot on the sea and one foot on the land. 
And when you read the Bible, what that is in reference to is that this belongs to me. Later on, we're going to see he measures in Revelation chapter 11. That's another symbol symbolic gesture of this belongs to me. And so can you see Jesus coming down like that? And what it is, is it's, it's a demand for the, for the land. You know, why, why is Jesus showing up here? Uh, he's telling the whole wide world that it's time. Why is it a little book? I wonder why it's a little book. And by the way, the Greek word is different than the, the word used for scroll earlier. So it's a different book. Um, there's two views on that. One is um, it could be in reference, well, there's a few things to say about it. You know, some say the title deed of the earth. Some will talk about the scrolls of judgment that are still ahead. Um, but uh, one of the main things really is that, I, that there's only a little time left. It's a little book because there's only a little time left. And I, I don't know, you know, I'm not a prophet. I don't know for sure. I can't, you know, but I, I, when I look out in the world today, I, I think that the Lord is trying to tell us there's only a little time left. There are 300 prophecies for the first coming of Christ, and he came. There are 2,100 prophecies of the second coming of Christ. And all the signs are in front of us, you guys. You know, we're here in, in the fourth quarter. We're here. God has put us in the game with Everything's on the line. And I think that that's probably uh, what he's talking about there when he describes it as a little book. He sets his foot on the earth and the sea. And basically what we find right here is, is this claim over all creation. It, it's called the law of appropriation. Basically what we find is that Jesus owns everything because he purchased it on the cross. That's one reason. The second reason is because his father gave it to him. And so it all belongs to him, but it still needs to be appropriated. You know, not too long ago, I remember uh, our next-door neighbors um, moved out. And then the owner, um, somebody bought the house, and other people started living there. And hopefully they never watch this video, but I'm going to just say <laughs> they did not take care of the place very well. Uh, it just went downhill, and it got all messed up. And, uh, and then when it was time for them to move on, they didn't want to move on. As a matter of fact, uh, they, they couldn't afford to buy it, but it was just a big, uh, it was a lot of drama. And in one sense, I, I know it's a lot different than that, but in one sense, this world, it once belonged to man, Adam and Eve, but then they forfeited it through sin. And now you got this craziness. First uh, John 5, 19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The, Satan is called the god of this world, the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, but he's not the owner of this world. And one day the owner is going to come and he's going to claim his creation. And that's what we see right here. And you're like, well, why do we see this? Why, why do we have this visual? Well, I, I, to be honest, I think it's good for us to know the future, but I think that a lot of times it's just because we go through hard times, we go through difficulties, and we need to have a certain certainty about the future that I don't know how, I don't know, you guys, what's going to happen next. Things might get worse. It might get worse, but it doesn't end that way. Jesus one day will come and claim his creation. 
you know, and for us to know about the future, to us to know one day we'll be with our loved ones, to for us to know one day we'll be with him. That that helps us today as we go through the difficult times. As you know, your loved ones get sick and they pass on. One day maybe you get sick. We go through difficulties. It, this helps us to know the certain certainty about the future. It's, a, it's that word called hope. And so um, the Bible talks about this as interesting in Deuteronomy 11:24, Joshua 1:3. The Lord said, "Wherever you set your foot, I'm going to give that land to you." And so here's Jesus, boom, setting his foot right here. This is my land. You know, it kind of reminds me when we landed on the moon. Boom. You know, you plant that flag there. That's what Jesus does. Sandy Adams said this, With one foot on the sea and with one foot on the land, Jesus straddles the continents. Like a cowboy on the back of a wild horse, he saddles up a bucking planet because he's going to break it. And so here Jesus pays the price. We know that, but we also know that he hasn't quite taken possession of the planet. Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 8, it talks about that. It says, For in that he put all in subjection under him, speaking of the Father, he has left nothing that is put under him. So the Father has put everything under Jesus. But it says there, But now we do not yet see all things put under him. One day we will. And notice the declaration in verse 3, Revelation chapter 10, that he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. You know, here Jesus cries loud. Why does he cry loud? And it's pretty obvious because he wants everyone to hear. You know, there are four times uh, that we can think of that Jesus cried loud. Um, and we see the first time is in... Uh, the time that he cried for the lost in John chapter 7. Do you guys remember? It says that he cried out loud and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You know, and out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. Let me ask you a question today. Are, are there torrents of living water coming out of your heart? Is that your life? Then if not, then you need to come to Jesus today. Now, some of you guys, you're already saved. You know, you've already come to Jesus, and I praise God for that. But I also believe that there's more to it. There's a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You might be down and out. You might be here discouraged and defeated, and life has not been what you expected it to be. You're not experiencing the fullness of God. I want to say to you, because Jesus said this really loud, if any of you guys are thirsty, come to me. And I want to tell you that. Don't just come to church. Come to Jesus, and he'll bless you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he said that loud when he talked to the lost. There's another time he cried out loud when he, when he spoke to Lazarus. You guys remember that story in John chapter 11? He said it really loud. Lazarus, come forth. And then Lazarus, was who had already been dead for days, he, uh, he came out of the tomb. And what that is is, is just, just telling us how he has power over death. Right? Really, really important for us to know that. The third time is when he died on the cross. And the Bible says he said it really loud. It is finished. 
Uh, in the Greek, it's tetelestai. I'm not sure what it is in the Aramaic. I don't even know for sure what language he spoke when he said it. But for us in the English, he said it really loud. It is finished. And what that is, is he wanted everybody to know, listen, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is finished. Debt paid in full. Some of you guys here, you, have, you, owe, a few, you owe a few debts, huh? Wouldn't it be cool if someone would just come and pay it all off for you? Well, think about the debt that we could never pay, the debt for all our sins that we'll ever, ever, ever commit, the sins of omission, the sins of commission. He paid it all for us. And as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is finished. And then the fourth loud cry is this one right here. So the first is for the land, the second is for Lazarus, the third is for life, and then the fourth is for the lost. And as he cries right here, he wants everyone to know that this is his place. It says right here in verse 3 that he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And so imagine that, uh, as when a lion roars. A couple of things about that. Again, number one, it takes us back to the fact that Jesus is uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We read that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. But also in Proverbs 19, 12, it says the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. And so when Jesus comes, imagine the wrath, and we've already read about it, um, that this world will experience. And so when he cried, the Bible says right here, seven thunders uttered their voices, now, when the seven thunders ordered their voices, John says, I was about to write it down, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, don't seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So I know what they are. I'm just joking. I don't know what they are. <laughs> we don't know what they are. But, you know, the interesting thing about this is it's uh, another aspect of us, um, uh, I guess you could say, tapping into the reality that John was really over there that John really was catapulted in the future. He heard these things. Who knows? Maybe he heard, you know, details about the days of, of that, you know, coming judgment, but he wasn't able to share it with us. And so anyways, uh, this is real stuff. This is really, this is really going to happen. And so uh, and Psalm 29 is an interesting psalm. If you guys get a chance, I encourage you to read it. There it, it calls the, the voice of the Lord a uh, thunder seven times and so we see first of all uh jesus claiming the land and then we see john now eating this book notice what happens in verse five it says and the angel whom i saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And so when you look at this right here, um, can you visualize again Jesus raising up his hand, swearing by him who lives forever and ever? It's a, it's a courtroom setting. It's like serious stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is where we received our traditional courtroom ritual. It, it started in this scripture. You know, we see throughout the scriptures how many times God has sworn uh, promises. For example, in Genesis 22, 15 through 16, 
God said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, and, and that, you know, because, Abraham, you have not withheld your son, your only son, I'm going to bless you beyond measure with this land. And throughout the scriptures, like Exodus 6, 8, Exodus 20, verse 28, he reminded them of this promise. And so for Jesus having this land, it's like he's, he's swearing by himself. And he's reminding us, you guys, that one day he will come. You know, um, when we look at this right here, we see that the days of delay are about to end. And if I could describe like the days that we're living in today, maybe give it a title, I would say that's the days that we're living in. We're living in the day of delay. We're living on promised, I mean, on borrowed time. But one day the delay will be no longer. So this is Jesus' land, and then we read about John's diet. In verse 8 again, the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he told me to take it and eat it. And so I don't, I don't have a lot of time. I just want you guys, though, to enter into this. I don't want you guys to miss this. Can you visualize Jesus? And here's the little Bible. <laughs> can you visualize Jesus with the little book? And can you hear the Father say, go and take the book and eat it? Can you, can you, can you, visual, can you hear that? And so John, he goes. And the cool thing is, I mean, when you look at this, John was uh, proactive. John actually went to Jesus. And I always, when I read this, I'm like, man, that's kind of strong words. But John told Jesus, give me the book and I was like Lord that almost seems like irreverent but but to me it was obedient to me it was hunger to me it was like a prayer to me when I read that I'm like look at what John did he said God give me the book and and you know you might look at the Bible you might think well it's too, so so big listen when you start reading it and eating it it's not as big as you might think and, and as he did, what ended up happening was God said, it's sweet in your mouth, but it's bitter in your stomach. And, and what ends up happening is that's prophecy. You guys, we're all like, we're all here. We're like, yeah, Jesus, come. Yeah, Jesus, come. I wish you would come today. I wish you would come today. And it's true. But at the same time, what if he came on August 19th, 1989? That was a day before I got saved. What if he would have come on that day? Then I wouldn't be saved, and I would be in hell. See, he knows the perfect time, but when he comes, it's going to be beautiful, but it's going to be heavy. I mean, this is the roar of a lion, and there are many who will be destroyed and in hell. And so that's why we don't take these things lightly. You know, when we read this right here, what we find, I, I remember one person, he said this. It's been said, without tears, the revelation was not written, and neither can it be without tears understood. I mean, it's a heavy, heavy thing to think about the judgment that is coming. And so we need to eat the Bible. I was thinking about this guy. Maybe you guys have heard of Menelik II. 
He was an emperor of the African nation of Ethiopia from 1889 until his death in 1913. And historians credit him with having brought Ethiopia into the 20th century by, by introducing effective proposals on education, uh, telephone and telegraph service, and railroads within his country. They say he was a great king, but he had an interesting practice. He actually believed that whenever he felt ill, all he needed to do to feel better was to eat a few pages from the Bible. And so Menelik, he practiced this form of medication, and apparently it did him no harm. Until the last few years of his life, he suffered a series of strokes that left him partially paralyzed. And in December 1913, he was feeling very weak and ill, and he asked his aides to tear the entire book of 1 Kings out of the Bible and feed it to him page by page. Apparently he died, I think it was in chapter 11, when yeah, Solomon and Shiva. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I don't know, like it's a funny story. Here's a man who literally ate the Bible. And I, but I just think it's fascinating. Every time he felt ill, he said the way to get better is to eat some pages from the Bible. And maybe you're here and your marriage is ill. Eat the Bible. And when we eat it, it becomes a part of us. We eat it to live it and then to give it. Right? Whatever it is, whatever the struggles may be in your life, I encourage you to dive into the word. Job said in Job 23:12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, we're on this 40-day fast, and I'm telling you, it's true. When you get hungry, you read your Bible, uh, more than likely the hunger pains are going to go away. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And we read it over and over again, Psalm 19, verses 9 through 10, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so as we're living in the days that we're living in, what I believe to be the last of the last days, we're living in dark days, we're fighting big demons. There are so many lies that are out there that are so incredible. Our media, uh, our world, our nation that used to be Christian, man, they're, all, they're, they're almost the opposite now. There is a remnant. Praise God for that. So what should we be doing? Where should we be in the midst of all these things? Well, we have to have this hope as an anchor, it says in Hebrews 6. This is Jesus' land. This is Jesus' land. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to claim his creation. And in one sense, we got to know that this is Jesus' book. And my prayer uh, out of in the days that we're living in is that we would take this Bible. Don't mess around, you guys. Some of you guys, more than likely, you just study the Bible when you come to church or you, you read it uh, sporadically. I, I really encourage you to make sure that you have a steady diet of this. What does the Bible say? Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, um, man does not live by cheeseburgers and pizza, all that kind of stuff alone, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. He said, John, eat it. 
so that you can go out and continue to prophesy about all these things to all the nations and all the people. And I'm telling you this, as you eat it, it becomes a part of you. You assimilate it. It's our metabolism. And as you eat it, as you really eat it, I'm not talking about tasting it. I'm not talking about chewing it and spitting it out. I'm talking about eating it, swallowing it. As you eat it, it becomes a part of you. And then you can't help but live it. And then you can't help but give it. And that's what we need to be doing in these days.